Well, good morning. Today's kind of a good day. It, it begins uh, the last week that um, Juliana's a horning. So I'm going to miss the men's breakfast on Saturday. Steve's going to be teaching on uh, the title is like, and pray for it, or pray for one another, and pray for one another. But I'm going to miss that because I'm going to be at a wedding in Texas. So if you're a man in this church and you're not at a wedding in Texas, then you should be at the men's breakfast. But, uh, you know, it's funny. Julianne was trying to talk me into wearing a hamburger T-shirt. I have a hamburger T-shirt. She has a French fry T-shirt, and it says Best Buds if we stand next to each other. So she tried to get me to wear that to church today, and I said I'll wear it after church. But uh, today is the last day that I am her best bud. Now, Julianne, Jessica, and I actually had a debate this morning about who's her best bud, but I got the T-shirt. And... Um, but, you know, starting on next Saturday, she'll have a new best bud, and I'm really excited about that. So, um, anyway, great news in the Horning household. Um, we are going to be in Philippians chapter 3. We're actually going to look at the whole chapter this morning, Philippians chapter 3. It is one of the most powerful chapters in Scripture, and I love it. It's actually, um, I think uh, this chapter is so trans- was so transforming for me. Um, it was a hindrance to me becoming a believer before I was a Christian, but it really, in my early years of being a Christian, I think because of this huge deficit of what my life was like before, this chapter was one of the most transforming things in my life. And I thought about this, and how can I cultivate this, and how can I be like this? And so we're going to be talking about the priority of Christian passion. Um, you know, a lot of times people view uh, Christianity as something intellectual, and it is. We do actually have to understand the gospel message. There are facts that we have to understand and know. We'll talk about some of those. But the Christian life is not merely intellectual. It is something that flows out of our heart. It's something that motivates and drives everything that we do. And here's the deal. If you don't have the right passions... If you don't have the right Christian passion that is driving your life, you will waste your life. Um, We have to be driven by the right heart, by the right desires. And a passion for Christ is something that will touch every part of your life. It's a passion for Christ is actually what will allow you to lay on your deathbed and say, Man, I I have spent my life well. To be like Paul, I have finished the course. I've finished the race. And in the future, there's laid up for me a crown of glory. And just for Paul, man, at the end of his life, he had not wasted his life. Because his greatest affection was Christ. And I think within the church and within Christianity, often people are driven. They have allowed other things to come into their life and replace their love and their passion for Christ. Now, when you think about this, uh, the priority of Christian passion, that's actually where every Christian starts is with the right passion. In fact, that's what Jesus said. Consider what the Bible says about loving Jesus. I'm going to put up a few verses here, and uh, the last one I think will be shocking to you. You probably don't know it's in the Bible. Well, the, the biblical experts in this room know. There's a lot of people out in other places that may not know that verse was there. But this is what Jesus says about the priority of Christian passion. Uh, he says, whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus actually says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you have to actually love me more than anyone or anything in your life. In fact... You have to love me more than your own life. So that's where Christianity starts. Well, think about the Apostle Paul and and what he says here in Ephesians 
624, he says, Grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. Man, God's grace be on people who love Jesus. And then this is the verse that <laughs> you probably don't know is in there. It's, this is not one of the verses we highlight um, often. In fact, I don't remember ever hearing it highlighted anywhere. It's 1 Corinthians 16.22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And then he prays for the return of Christ. Let him be accursed. If you don't love Jesus, Paul says, may you be cursed. May you burn in hell if you don't love Jesus. Now think about the priority of Christian love. And here's the truth is, everybody who doesn't love Jesus is headed for hell. Like Paul is actually, in a sense, praying that that is a prayer when he says let every that's like a wish prayer where he is praying that people that don't love Jesus would be accursed and that is actually something true anybody who doesn't love Jesus isn't going to heaven and uh, I think that you know for many of us we have misunderstood we have misunderstood what it even means to be a Christian. Uh, we struggle to evaluate salvation in our own life. We struggle to evaluate salvation in the lives of others because we don't actually know what to look for. And actually what you would look for in yourself is what is your desires? Do you love Jesus? What you would look for, like, and, and it's not that we judge the salvation of others, but in ministry... You've got to try to figure out who's a believer and who's not a believer. As a parent, you have to try to make evaluations. Do my kids know the Lord? Do they not know the Lord? When, when you're pursuing just what God has called us to do in life, we have to try to make decisions about things so that we can pray for and minister to people. Now, obviously, uh, Jesus also talks about, he talks to his disciples about this uh, evil uh, uh, farmer in, in this parable that goes out and just sows um, weeds into God's field. And then the, the workers say, hey, should we, go pull up the, should we go pull up the weeds? And he says, no, don't pull up the weeds because you might pull up some true disciples when you're trying to pull up weeds. So just wait. God will sort it out in the end. So we can't always evaluate the salvation of somebody else. Nobody sees somebody's heart except God himself. However, how do you try to even think about that? And this is what it comes down to. Do you love the Lord? Do other people love the Lord? That's one of the things we thought about often with our kids in church is, you know, our kids are growing up in church. They grew up in a pastor's home. And, and we were we trained our kids. We discipled our kids. We disciplined our kids. And from the time they were young, I would tell them, uh, you know, I can't make you be a Christian. That's something that's between you and God. But I decide where, where, whether or not you go to church. And if I tell you to get up in the morning and read your Bible, <laughs> you're going to get up in the morning and read your Bible. Uh, because I'm your parent and you're going to obey the things I tell you. And I'm going to train you and I'm going to give you opportunities in your life. We were the authority in our, their lives. The other thing is that our kids loved us. And so we could have asked our kids to do anything and they would do it. So we're training our kids, but one of the things we looked for and tried to evaluate was what in their life reflects the fact that they love Jesus. Because we've taught them to do things and you can play guitar and you could lead worship and you could do ministry and you can go to Sunday school and you could be a nice person um, there's all kinds of people who do things like that that don't know the Lord. The church is full of people who do things like that and don't know the Lord. So the question is, what demonstrates a heart that has a desire to obey Jesus? And um, this, I hope, as you consider this sermon, <laughs> like I think on a scale of like 1 to 10, and Paul's a 10 for having the right kind of passions, 
I put myself somewhere down on the three, the one to three scale, and I don't even know, maybe I'm not even evaluating myself correctly. Maybe I should be lower. Um, the truth is we all have a lot of ways that we could grow, and we need to think about that seriously. Our passion for Christ, your passion for Christ, is actually the most significant thing in your life. And unless you're passionate for the Lord, you will not pass that on to anyone else. So one of the things that we're going to see is that uh, when we love Jesus the way that we should, that is going to actually dictate our purpose in life because you will pursue your passions. And proper passion is something that should be intentionally developed. So we're going to look at that. What does a passion for Christ look like? Uh, what does that mean about your purpose, and how do you go about developing that? So if you have your Bibles, let's read uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. And here's the thing that I love about this first section is we're going to see Paul's passion and his love, but he contrasts religion from genuine love for the Lord because the world is full of religious people. In fact, Paul was a Jew. He was in the right religion, and he had incredible passion for his religion. But he didn't actually love Jesus, and he was lost. And so uh, we're going to get to see here um, the Apostle Paul and what happened in his heart. So he says this in verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have far more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I mean, that's Paul. He's like, man, I could pride myself in the way I pursued religion. And then he says something just incredibly powerful in verse 7. But whatever I gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul just says, everything I valued, everything that was important to me, I, I counted that as loss. That's Jesus saying, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Well, that's Paul saying, I lost everything in my life to follow Jesus. And we can hear that story. Now, one of the things I think is interesting is this is chapter 3, and you'll notice Paul said, finally, at the beginning. And uh, so this will be a comfort to many of you. Um, Paul says finally, and then he goes on for um, and a whole nother, like two chapters after he says finally. He's halfway through the book. And I was thinking about in Acts chapter 20, it tells a story about Paul preaching and how he preached until midnight. And some guy got really tired and fell asleep and fell out of a window and died. He actually preached a guy to death. <laughs> so just be glad if I ever go long. I've not, not ever, I'm not going to go till midnight. And... Um, God, it's okay because Paul goes down and raises the guy from the dead. You know, he was trying to listen. He just fell asleep. But this word, that word can also mean furthermore. I think that's how Paul's using it here since it's in the middle. And he's just saying, you know, he's going to remind them of things he's taught them. You know, these things that Paul's teaching, he's taught them before, and they're all throughout Scripture. None of this is new. And he emphasizes the worthlessness of religion you know, when he's talking about, he says, look out. So he's going to tell people, you need to be aware of false religion and be careful about it. Look out for the dogs. That was uh, a Jewish insult to Gentiles. And the apostle Paul just, he actually insults the Jews with their insult that they would give to the Gentiles. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. That, that is a tr that is a a true definition of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They were evil people. They, they thought the things that they thought made them righteous actually made them evil. They were prideful and judgmental, and they tithed mint and dill, but they neglected the weightier portions of the law of justice and mercy. 
They didn't love God and they didn't love God's people. They were religious. And Jesus actually tells his disciples that people are going to kill you thinking that they are offering worship to God. Religion is full of so much evil. And so Paul just labels all that Jewish religion as evil. When he talks about the, those who mutilate the flesh, that's circumcision. It's what the Jews prided themselves in. I'm a Jew. And Paul just says, no, in, in Romans chapter 2, he says a Jew is a person who has a circumcised heart, not somebody who's circumcised on the outside. So this, this act that they prided themselves in, Paul says, no, that's mutilation of the flesh. He just totally devalues it because it's religion. And then he makes this contrast, but we are the true circumcision. And so, and, and what is the true circumcision? People who worship by the Spirit of God, they're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and, and that's where their worship comes from. It's not an external thing, something that comes out of the heart, and who put no confidence in the flesh. And then he talks about these things he valued that now he counts as loss for the sake of Christ. You know, I think this is partly why we, we, we have done so much harm to Christianity by not understanding what it means to be a believer. Look what it says here. It says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And we just sometimes label religion that's not Christian as Christian. And this is what Jesus goes on to say in that same passage he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, that was the apostle Paul. He was so religiously committed, but it was actually works of lawlessness. And so what happened to the apostle Paul? You know, it's interesting, um, Paul's religious effort was great sinfulness. And actually, that transitions to a genuine love for the Lord. And we get to see how that happened. So in Acts chapter 9, Paul is traveling to kill Christians. He sees Stephen get stoned, and he decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go kill Christians. So he gets letters and he goes around, and when you think about the way that Paul actually, he talks about this, so it's described in Acts chapter 9, but he shares it in his testimony, what he used to do. And he says, I persecuted this way to the death. So he was killing Christians, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. And he, he said that... Uh, um, basically what happens is he's on his way to kill Christians and all of a sudden he sees a light and Jesus talks to him and says, Paul, you're persecuting me. And then when he goes into Damascus, the Christians there had this animosity toward him. And God's, God tells a man, he's like, hey, Paul, Saul's coming and he's going to be a servant of mine. And he's like, no, that guy has hurt the church so much. Don't send him here. And, and because of just how bad Paul was. But then it talks about this complete change in Paul's heart. And so we see that on the outside. We see how Paul goes from persecuting Christians to preaching. And we look at this, these external things. But Philippians chapter 3 is actually a description of what happened inside. And just so you know, this is what happens inside of all Christians. There, there is a complete transition you know, you think about Ephesians 2, 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in, once, in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, In Christ you are a new creature. Old things have passed away. New things have come. Well, what are the new things? It's a new heart. God's taken this heart of stone out, and he's put in a soft heart. Look, look at um, verse 8. 
Paul says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So Paul just says there's nothing more important to me than having Christ. You know what the crazy thing is about church and evangelism and all that kind of stuff is often instead of lifting up Jesus and his message, you have churches and books and movements where they just say, okay, what are the things that might offend people? Let's get rid of all that. Let's not say anything that would upset anybody. Let's not, if God says something sinful, don't talk about that because people won't like that. So let's come up with something that's acceptable, something that people will like. Don't, don't talk about things that are difficult in Scripture. Skip all those and just talk about nice things. And how can we make people feel good each week so that they leave feeling happy? And so you get a lot of churches that they actually hide the truth of the gospel. They hide Jesus instead of highlighting Jesus. And what ends up happening is you end up with tons of churches with lots of people that don't know the Lord and they don't know that they don't know the Lord because they don't actually understand what the gospel is. And people can be confused because they don't know what it looks like. Well, look what Paul says here. You know, this is the crazy thing is that we are wholehearted when it comes to Christ, but we do not stand before Christ based on our life or our works. And this is one of the things that you see in this passage is Paul is wholeheartedly committed to Jesus, but he is not trying to earn his standing before Christ. He is not trying to be good enough. He's not looking at failures in his life and thinking, oh man, that means I'm not a Christian. He repents and he pursues a relationship with Christ. Look what he says here in verse 9. His value is to gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You know, Paul standing before God was just because he believed in Jesus. He, he came to see what Jesus did, how Jesus died on the cross for him, how Jesus was punished for his sins and his standing is not based on him. You know, that's Philippians 2, 12 and 13, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. Or, or Philippians 1, 6, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Or Jude chapter 1, verse 23 and 24, that just says, now to him who is able to keep you and to make you stand in his presence blameless. You know, our, our standing before God is based on the righteousness of Christ, not our works. But when God comes into your life, he changes your heart and your affection. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3 talks about how God saves people. This is what it says here. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him, that's Jesus, who called us. That's like the call into salvation. It's God drawing people to himself. And how does he draw people? He's called us through the, by the knowledge of him who called us uh, by his own glory and excellence. All of a sudden, God allows us to see Jesus as attractive and wonderful and more valuable than anything else. Remember when Jesus was telling those parables about the kingdom of heaven? And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a field with this huge treasure in it. And when, when a person finds out there's this treasure in this field. He sells everything he has and buys the field. Why? 
because what's in that field is worth more than everything he owns. Or do you remember the pearl of great price? This guy's looking for a pearl, and he finds this pearl, and it's so valuable. He sells everything he can, and he, he has and goes and buys it, and he's just so happy that he has this amazing treasure. When you look at Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I've suffered the loss of everything and count them, but rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes through faith because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. When we try to say, hey, you can have a better life and you can have a better marriage and Jesus wants everybody to be happy and rich and he's kind of like, uh, you can just pray, and whatever you want, God will give you. You won't suffer. You won't be sick. There will just be good things in your life. And, and there are so many people called to that kind of gospel, e- even though <laughs> Paul talks about losing everything and that everyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. And so there's many people that are like, oh, really? I go to church, and I pray, and I do these things. I could get a new car? Uh, you, mean, you mean I'll get a better house? Oh, Awesome. You mean my business, instead of struggling, is going to do better? Oh, I I think I want that. And and sometimes we try to sell people on Christianity with things other than Jesus, with things other than understanding your need and what Christ offers. Um, So he loved Jesus because of what Jesus did for him. And um, this is something that is so encouraging and powerful for us. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 11. It says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God saves people who cry out for him, who know that they're in need. Just like that thief on the cross. He's, He's dying and he knows he's a sinner. And he said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in heaven, not based on works, just based on a heart that says, Jesus, I love you and I need you. And and the thing that was so overwhelming for Paul was that he didn't have to earn his standing before God. He had the righteousness of Christ. And see, here's the deal is that when we have that kind of passion for Christ, um, that passion will define and drive your life's purpose. See, the thing is, is that the Bible talks about having a good marriage, talks about having good relationships with people. Proverbs is full of wisdom on how to live your life and how to work and how to approach things in a way that will bring blessing into your life. I mean, Psalm 1 talks about the blessing that God pours out on people who love him. Um, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, is saying, blessed, blessed, blessed. And God pours out blessing into our life. And my kids were growing up, we would read Proverbs. Now, I would just talk to them about how you need to work diligently and you need to work hard. And right now we have this, we, we have a world full of people with an attitude of entitlement that just think everybody's owed to them. They, they think everything just should be given to them. You need to learn to work hard for God's glory and just training and teaching people marriage. And I talk to people who have a lot of marriage struggles, and their life's a disaster. And every day is a day of misery. And each day is more miserable than the day before. And and I know that doesn't describe everybody, but there's a lot of people. And do you want to know what the solution (laughs) to a bad marriage is? It's just love God. Read what God says about how marriage is supposed to be done and how you're supposed to think. There is no genuine hope for people struggling apart from living a faithful life. And I've talked to to people and just said, hey, I can give you some advice and some things to help you. But apart from the Holy Spirit working in your life and, and apart from you developing habits that God says we should have and how we think and behave, your marriage will not be transformed. And this is the sad thing is that if you love Jesus, you will love your spouse so much more than you could love your spouse apart from Christ. But you shouldn't love your spouse more than Christ. You love your spouse because you love Christ. 
It's, it's God's word that teaches us how to love and train our kids. It's God's word. A love for God will help you love and disciple the people around you. Like strong families and strong discipleship and strong church is based, it flows out of the life of people who love Jesus more than anything else. And what's so sad is, of course, teach people to love Jesus and you have all the blessings of being a, an obedient, faithful person. First of all, you're living life with wisdom. You know, God made the world. He knows how to live life better than anyone else. So you're living life with wisdom. Secondly, you have God's divine power and protection. The eyes of the Lord seek to and fro across the earth that he may strongly support those who hearts, whose hearts are truly his. And when you are loving him with all your heart, first of all, you get all the good things that come just because you're living with wisdom. And then secondly, you have God's divine protection in your life. And what's so sad is there's many people and many Christians who say, let's strip Christ out of everything. But you know what? You could have a good marriage from some stuff. And they remove Christ from ministry instead of making Christ front and center. You know, um, so what is this purpose that Paul is pursuing? Let's, let's look at verse 12. Or verse, I'm sorry, verse 10. Well, let me go back. I think it's verse 8. Um, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And then let's go to verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So Paul just says, Jesus has made me his own and I'm going to press on for the purpose that God has called me to. And God's called you to a purpose. Have you thought about your purpose in life and Christ being in the center of that? Do you know that God puts you in your family and he has a purpose for you in your family, whether you're a kid or a sibling or, or a parent God has a purpose for you in in your family. He puts you there. God puts you in your neighborhood, and he has a purpose for you in your neighborhood. The job you have, God puts you there. He has a purpose for you in your job. And if you go to this church, God has a purpose for you here. Have you thought about that? What is my purpose in life? Uh, We're going to find out Paul's talking about these false teachers at the end. He's going to end the chapter talking about people going to hell, and he's basically just going to say they pursue their own purpose. But believers pursue the purpose of Christ. And he just says this. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And just in case anybody might think this kind of an attitude or passion or heart is for pastors or missionaries, uh, Paul just clarifies right here, no, this is for every Christian. Look what he says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Um, You want to know what God's purpose for you is? You could summarize it into this one thing, and it's going to be expressed everywhere, but it's that you're like Jesus. You know, Colossians 1.28 gives us a purpose statement. It says, him we proclaim, that's Jesus, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is the aim of the church. Um, in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, it says I, uh, that God gave some as apostles and preachers and teachers and, and evangelists for what? For the equipping of the saints until everybody looks like Jesus. Your purpose is to be like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus said, my food. Do you remember when Jesus said, my food is to do God's will? So he was here to just say, God, what's your will for me? And to do that, that's what he pursued. Um, Do you remember when Jesus came and made some disciples? 
And so Jesus made disciples. And then what did he tell all Christians to do? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. So Jesus came to do God's will, to make disciples, and to die, to lay his life down. And what does Paul say? Greater love has no one than this, than it, that he laid down his life for his friends. In Acts, Paul's getting ready to leave the Ephesian elders, and this prophet comes and makes this prophecy. He ties himself up with a belt, and he says to Paul, the one who owns this belt, he tied himself up with Paul's belt, the one who uh, was, owns this belt, um, when they go on from here, they're going to get beaten, and they're gonna do, there's going to be all kinds of suffering. And everybody in the church says, Paul, don't go. We don't want you to suffer. We don't want this to happen to you. And Paul says, hey, uh, not only am I willing to suffer, I'm willing to die. And then he goes off to where he was told he would suffer. And that's the purpose of every Christian's life. Remember when Paul said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice? That's how we live. And so God's put us in, in life for a purpose. We have a purpose, and that purpose should be controlled by our passion for Christ. So the third thing is that, you know, a proper passion for Christ is something that we need to purposefully develop. So um, one of the things for me is I read Scripture as a kid growing up. I learned all the Bible stories. I heard this Philippians chapter 3. And uh, in one sense, I wasn't willing to sacrifice my life for Christ. It's like, no, no way will I be a Christian. <laughs> no way do I let God call the shots in my life. It's going to make me a missionary, a pastor. What a nightmare. I want to pursue fun and happiness. Definitely not ministry. I don't know why I thought that at the time, but evidently, I guess that was true. But you want to know what the biggest discouragement for me was? I am facing this internal struggle because I've read the Bible and I know what it means to, to love God and to, and to follow him and I just, I don't want to do that. I, I knew as a kid I didn't have to try to earn my salvation but then I went to church and when I went to church, did you know that I saw nobody I mean nobody that was really living their life wholeheartedly to please the Lord I mean, I'm not saying there was nobody there doing it. I didn't see anybody doing it, not one person. And it's like everybody. It's like they'd come home, they'd talk about the movies that they watched, and I just thought, man, why would a person who really wants to love and honor the Lord watch that movie? And I saw the way that people treated each other and the way that people were not forgiving and the conflicts that would happen in church, and, and I just didn't see... I didn't see anybody sharing the gospel or really having a passion. And so I just remember being in church and just thinking to myself, man, if these adults can't do it. By the way, I had a low view of teenagers because <laughs> I was a teenager. And, you know, you know, teenagers are lame and they don't, they don't like anything, you know, positive. And, like, you could teach the Bible to adults, but if you teach the Bible to teenagers, they won't like it. Give them some pizza and candy instead. Um, by the way, in case you don't know me... <laughs> I don't think that um, at all, but that is actually one of the super harmful attitudes in the church is we, we have a low view of teenagers. No, teenagers can be faithful and honor the Lord and love the Lord, but I grew up with this low view of teenagers, and I thought I'm lame and don't have an ability to do really spiritual things, but then I looked around at all the adults, and I thought if they can't do it and they're so much more mature and better than me, I can't do it. I just thought, man, if they can't do it, I'm not even going to try. You know, I realized that I think sometimes the reason we struggle to live our life the way God intends us to live it is because we've never seen it. Man, our parents didn't do it. You know, you read about marriage, right? And uh, that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. You know, husbands are supposed to love their wives and give their lives sacrifice themselves for the benefit of their spouse and that they're supposed to wash their wife in the water of the word. 
Man, they're supposed to present their wife holy and blameless and pursue her spiritual well-being. Like that's what's supposed to be happening in a marriage. But I'm just thinking, I'm, I don't see that. I see a bunch of people who can't get along. Um, people who are angry with each other. And then uh, let's just think about all the, all the other things. Like where do you see a passion for Christ? A husband or a wife who says, yeah, this is difficult. Yes, I've been mistreated. But this is what God tells me to do, return good for evil. And so actually, I'm gonna re- my wife's treating me horribly. But I'm going to love her because God tells me to love my wife and God tells me to return good for evil. So if my wife's evil to me, I'm going to love her. And uh, a wife who says, yeah, the Bible says that if your husband's disobedient to the word, win him over without a word by your chaste and your respectful behavior. So you know what? My husband's a knucklehead and he's behaving terribly. This is what God says. This is how God says I'm supposed to treat my husband. And so because I love my husband and because I love God, I'm going to do what God calls me to do. Um, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So if you're a kid and your parents are idiots, you're still supposed to obey them for Christ's sake. And so so I'm just looking around. I'm just going, man, I do not see a love for Christ worked, worked out. And I think that for all of us, why is this so hard? It's because we don't see it. And when I was about, I think I was, I was like coming to the end of my high school years. And uh, my mom ends up hiring this guitar teacher to teach me guitar. And he was the first person I ever met who I saw living a wholehearted life for Christ. And uh, he gave when he was struggling financially, he gave. He invested financially in spiritual things. Whatever it was that God said he should do, he did it. And there was certain music he didn't listen to. There were certain kinds of things he would not participate in. He was living wholehearted for Christ. And I thought, okay, if he can do it, then I can do it. And then I went to college, and I had this friend that I've talked to you guys about a bunch of times. And I saw him... Um, we would go on youth trips, and sometimes I would drive 65 to our camps. And one time we got to camp, and he just said, Roger, man, I'm really struggling because I'm going off to camp to, um, you know, try to train kids to honor and love the Lord, but I actually have to violate everything in my conscience to get to camp because the speed limit's 55, and I can't keep up with you if I don't drive 65. And, um, like, there was, there was nothing in his life. Like, he would have never criticized me for driving six, 65, but I was making him break the law. And he just said, hey, you know, we should honor the laws of the land. I mean, doesn't that, isn't that what Romans 13 says? And when, just being around him, there was nothing God said. If God said it, he just did it. And seeing him live a wholehearted life for Christ... And that's basically, if you think about this, that's what Paul says to his, um, these folks in, in Philippi. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. Join in imitating me. Paul set an example. So just for us, we should wholeheartedly love Jesus. And it is very important. It's not that Um, nobody in my church wholeheartedly loved Jesus. Um, When you read Genesis and you read about Lot, would you read Genesis and think, man, Lot was a really faithful, godly, righteous man? Would you think that? I don't think anybody reads Genesis and thinks that. They think, what a loser. The guy didn't reach his family. He never talked to his kids about God. He never talked to his son-in-laws about God. In fact, when he did talk to his son-in-laws about God, they thought he was joking because he just never did it. But then when you read the New Testament, it talks about Lot. And it says Lot was a righteous man. And in his heart, he was tormented day after day by the things that he saw around him. And, and often we are Christians and we do love the Lord. 
But we live such a watered-down life that people don't see our love for Christ. We don't inspire and encourage and show people how to walk with the Lord. We actually confuse the gospel with compromised living. Look what Paul goes on to say here in verse uh, 18. So he says, imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Like Timothy, he says, there's no one else genuinely concerned with the interests of others. And then he says in verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Okay, so what is an enemy? How do you define an enemy of the cross of Christ? So he's going to define them right here. So if you are an enemy of Christ, um, your end is destruction. So that's the first thing Paul says. If you're an enemy of Christ, you will spend forever in hell. Their God is their belly. Do you know what they do? Whatever they feel like doing. They pursue their passions. You know, God says don't, don't have sex before you're married, but they want to, so they do. God's, whatever their desires are, they just pursue their desires. The more money they have, the more things they buy for themselves. They just pursue their belly, their desires. So people who walk as enemies of Christ, they're going to hell. They do whatever they feel like doing. They're driven by their passions. They are not driven by a love for Christ. They're driven by what they want. And their glory is in their shame. See, they're proud of things that they should be ashamed of. And so they, they, they don't value what Christ values. They're proud of things. Man, uh, how about pride, right? What does pride mean? And it's not just those things, but that is glorying in something you should be ashamed of. But it's not just that. It's all kinds of things, things we should be ashamed of that we're proud of. With minds set on earthly things. See, these are people that they think more about investing for retirement than supporting missionaries or supporting the work of God. They set their minds on earthly things. Where do I want to go on vacation? Rather than who am I going to share the gospel with? Who am I going to disciple? See, those are enemies of the cross of Christ. They do what they want. They glory in their shame, and they set their minds on earthly things. Doesn't that describe a lot of people you might find in church? Would you ever say that that describes you? And I would just say if it does, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but it means you're living like somebody who's not a Christian. Uh, what, did, what, did God, what, did, uh, say, what does Satan do? Um, Satan, look at 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led away from the sincere and pure devotion to Christ. See, that's what Satan does, is he pulls us away from affection toward Christ, which brings all kinds of pain and sorrow into our life. It harms our ability to share the gospel with people and reach people with the gospel. It, sometimes it, it totally pollutes the evangelism that we are trying to evangelize our kids and other people, and we pollute it, and you just get people going, man, all I see is somebody who pursues themselves, and guess what? There's better ways to pursue your own desires. I don't need Jesus. I don't need this stuff, and I can pursue my own desires without limitation. I see you guys seem to be, like for me, I'm looking at the church I grew up in. I'm like, you guys seem to be pursuing your own desires, but you just, you have limits on it but I, I, I can figure out a way to pursue it with no limits. There's nothing better than being transformed from the inside out. Um, this, is a, this, was a, this is a very challenging passage. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is a challenging passage for us, and it sets the bar really where it should be, wholehearted devotion to Christ. And it's not just in Philippians 3, it's everywhere. And uh, sometimes, we're, sometimes we fall short. I, I know I do. I read this, and I feel very convicted about a lot of things. And I just want to say this, that your past failures or even things that you look at in your life right now that you're struggling with, that should not paralyze you or discourage you. That is an avenue to consider God's grace. You know what Paul says, I don't have a righteousness of my own. You should not at all be discouraged about your past. 
um, any ways that you fail to love God the way that you should, man, that's what Jesus came for is to die for our sins, that our standing before God is not based on that. Um, instead, we should be inspired not to keep living that way. Uh, today can be the day that your life changes. Um, we should be inspired to make investments now to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to be an example of living a wholehearted life for Christ. And of course, the best time to plant a tree was 100 years ago. So the best time for you to have lived this way before your kids was, you know, when they were born. The second best day is today. And that's what um, Christ is about. Jesus came and he died on the cross so that you and I could have eternal life. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that's what we celebrate, a standing before God based on Jesus. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three: For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat this bread. And I want you to think about the fact that Jesus died for you. Now let's remember that. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is coming back. And this reminds us that he did die for us, but he's also coming back for us. Let's drink. Lord, thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, for the kindness that you have poured out on us in Christ. God, we do love you, and we need help loving you. God, help us to be those examples to people around us. Lord, help us to read Scripture and find all the examples of people who lived wholehearted lives for you. And Lord, I pray that we would not in any way be discouraged by failures but Lord that that would just make us people who are humble who are gracious toward others and Lord that we would be inspired to live rightly for you knowing that our our security is not based in our strength or our ability to live but in you so God I pray that you would help us in this church to have a powerful testimony and to be people who love you with all of our heart in your name amen